0: This week on A Lively Experiment, it's our annual look back at the year that was. Our panel offers up its thoughts on the highs, the lows, and those only in Rhode Island moments, plus some predictions for the new year.
1: A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by...
2: Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS.
0: Joining us as they do every year, corporate communications consultant and former television news anchor, Dave Lehman. Maureen Moakley, retired political science professor at the University of Rhode Island. And Ian Donis, political reporter for The Public's Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Jim Hummel, and welcome to one of my favorite programs of the year. It was another packed year for news in Rhode Island, and we have a lot to cover this week. You may notice we are missing one of our regulars. Wendy Schiller is traveling, another sign that the pandemic is largely in the rearview mirror. But before she left, we got Wendy's prediction for next year, and we'll play that for you a little later. So, welcome panel. Here we are. The years go by more and more quickly. Um, It's our usual topics. Let's start with top local story. Maureen, we'll begin with you.
3: I said the top local story was the November election in this fact that there were more losses on the Republican side. And, um, you know, the the races for Congress and the legislature really reinforced the blueness of the state. The progressives slipped a little. So I think it changed the picture a little. And uh, certainly uh, we are bluer than blue. And I think that's my top story. Were you
0: surprised the Republicans didn't do a little better in the General Assembly yeah, races? Yeah, I did.
3: I did. Yeah. I thought Given- maybe they would. W- there was all this play about thong and so forth and so on and expectations about that. But I really think that um, it was surprising that it fell so fell so well for the Democrats.
0: Yeah,
2: Ian, what's your top local story? My top local story is the political success of Dan McKee. Back in 2018, he won a Democratic primary for lieutenant governor by only about 7,000 votes. Uh, this year, he was lucky in how one of his Democratic primary rivals, Helena Folks, did not run a very aggressive campaign. Had she been a little more aggressive, she was gaining support in the run-up to the primary. I think she had the potential to defeat McKee, but it did not happen that way. And then McKee had the good fortune of running against a Republican who had been in Rodin for about five minutes and had an overwhelming general election victory. He is now poised mm-hmm. to put a greater imprint on Rodin with a full four-year term that he won in his own right. So he is my top local story. Were you surprised
0: by the margin? Now, you did uh, a couple of the debates And I wonder, you know, Ashley Kalos was pulling within 10 points. At the end, it wasn't a contest. Did that margin surprise you?
2: It, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, Kayla spent almost $5 million to get better known to promote her visibility. And I thought, and I think a lot of people thought she would be more competitive and there are a certain amount of people who have not warmed up to Dan McKee. But I think the fact that Kalos had such a tenuous connection to Rodan was really a fatal flaw for her politically. And McKee's campaign did everything right as far as they had to. They had good um, uh, commercials that made him likable, made him relatable. So I think uh, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Mr. Layman.
1: I consider both of those, <laughs> but I ultimately decided to go in another direction. Because
0: you always come prepared, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> uh,
1: I think uh, without a doubt, the, e- uh, the uh, economy was a big story, not only nationally, but here in Rhode Island. We've had it's good and bad. We've had the uh, lowest uh, unemployment rate that we've had in four or five decades, which is good uh, absolutely after all the years where it wasn't that way. Uh, but it also affected everything that we buy. Uh, you can't offset low unemployment with, uh, with high, high prices on food. These are everyday items that people buy. Uh, we're a, a moderately wealthy state or mid- mid-term, I would say, uh, on wealth. And this affects a lot of people. We have a lot of people who are in you know, low hourly paid jobs, and this really affects them. So I think, uh, I think that really is, uh, has hurt uh, in some ways. Also, the housing, not being able to afford a house. A lot of millennials not able to afford a house. So the economy affected all of us. So, so I, I thought that was really the highest impact.
0: Yeah, I think all three of those were good. Let's go to a top national story. Uh, Ian, let's begin with you. What is your top national
2: story? My top national story, Jim, is the backlash against Donald Trump and Trumpism. The conventional wisdom is that Democrats were going to get creamed in the midterm elections. That usually happens to the party that holds the White House. Instead, you know, Republicans did gain the House, but Democrats had one of their best midterm performances in many, many years. Uh, We've seen both of the honor co-chairs of Trump's campaign in 2020 kind of move away from supporting Donald Trump. He very well might still be the Republican presidential nominee in 2024, but he has a much more tenuous path after having a very narrow election victory in 2016. So I think it shows that the the nation is very tired of Donald Trump and his approach to politics. Yeah, maybe
0: the Democrats would love it if he was the uh, Republican nominee. They they might. Yeah, Yeah, either way. Dave, what do you have for the top national story? Uh,
1: Along that line, uh, Donald Trump, but maybe for a different reason. Uh, It became the all-consuming, I I guess, reality show uh, for the nation with uh, a a lot of fallout from the January 6th committee. Uh, The diminished status, I think, of Donald Trump going forward, as Ian had mentioned. But I think also, uh, I think it showed that um, uh, the United States is uh, either, I guess, polarized in a way that it wasn't maybe three or four years ago. It, it's really become worse. And I think Donald Trump's bad year has also affected him by not having that glitter that was all around Donald Trump for the first uh, two or three years of his presidency.
0: Uh, you know, I saw some national pundit say, it isn't, they're not turned off by all the outrageous things he said and all of the craziness. It's the fact that he might not be a winner anymore. Mm -hmm. That's really the litmus test. I
1: might add one other point to that. I think one of the good things about Donald Trump, and there aren't many good things about him in, in my view, is that he has gotten more people involved in political discussions uh, it, it used to be uh, when everything was, was all you know, bells and whistles and everything was do, going well back in the 90s, I remember probably on this program uh, just so upset that most people worried about celebrities or interested in celebrities, didn't care about politics. Everybody's involved right now, for good or for bad, I think that's a good thing.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. Maureen. My top national story is the January 6th riot insurrection. It's probably the story of the decade. I mean, it's amazing, it's remarkable, and the implications for Trump are profound. We're all on the same theme, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, It's, when you think about it, what happened is astonishing. I mean, it's not, you know, it just wasn't some little thing. And so I think, you know, ultimately people are paying the price for this, but it was frightening, and it was a threat to democracy, it really was, And I'm hoping that the feds, what they're doing is going after some of these people and arresting them because it was a shocking event. And I think Joe Biden was right when he said he talked about democracy. He was the first person to bring that up. And it was really a threat to democracy. So I think that is definitely the top national but story. Isn't it
0: refreshing that there was a lot of talk leading up to the election? Our democracy is in jeopardy. They had a lot of people who had been nominated who are election deniers, right? Mm-hmm. And then Carrie Lake got struck down, Mastriano in... in, in um, Pennsylvania. And you don't hear much of that talk that, look, we survived all of that. And that's what America has done for hundreds of years. Yeah.
2: Voters really repudiated election deniers in elections across the country. And Mm -hmm. I think proponents of small d democracy can see that as a heartening thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Beautiful. And yet the, still the shocking thing is that Donald Trump to this day still has 30% support.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, well, that's a whole nother
0: show we can <laughs> yeah, talk about. Uh, we absolutely.
1: go to biggest winner,
0: biggest loser. Dave, we'll begin with you on this.
1: Okay. Uh, I actually have uh, two. I'll, I'll be quick. Rhode Island drivers. I consider that to... they winners uh, and losers or are they losers? No, 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 <laughs> well, uh, they're, they're both because for the first time in my memory in Rhode Island, we have really taken on the roads. Drivers now, even though the bad part of this, everywhere you go, you've got uh, all kinds of uh, cones and... Uh, construction trucks. It is so refreshing for me in spite of all the, the, the hassle that goes with it that we now are seeing roads that should have been repaired 20, 30, 40 years ago and there wasn't the money. So the drivers there. Uh, and Pawtucket, the Tidewater uh, Landing Project is, appears to be going forward now. Uh, who's the winner and who's the loser on the, that? The winner is Pawtucket the city of Pawtucket they have not had much to celebrate Mm -hmm. and this is something that is helping them out the financing on this thing is still sort of questionable to me and also the retail development etc that's going to supposed to uh, surround that I'm not sure that that's going to be in the final uh, plans at least not yet
3: um, I, I just want to. I agree with you. I think Pawtucket is really important, and I applaud Dan McKee mm-hmm. because he did cast that vote, mm-hmm. and it was held against him in the election. And I'm all, But not too much, not too <laughs> much, right? But I, I, I just hope that given this anchor, mm-hmm. that something will happen because I have friends that live in Pawtucket, and stores are closing every day. There's nothing left to the mm-hmm. town. And when he said, "I'm, I'm doing it for Pawtucket." I really, it it isn't just the stadium and the change in people's uh, affection for sports, Mm -hmm. but the fact is that this could be a lifeline to get this thing done. Mm -hmm. And I think the onus is on McKee, to push as hard as he can to see this become a reality.
0: I never thought in my lifetime I'd see the Wampanoag Trail paved, so I echo that. I know you're an East Bay guy. <laughs> it is just, it's like, woo! Yeah. It's, uh, my mechanic is not so happy because he doesn't have front-end alignments anymore. Uh, yeah. biggest winner, biggest loser. What do you have, Marie? All right,
3: my, the, mine's pretty obvious. I think the biggest winner was Seth Magazina. I thought it was interesting how he was cast as the underdog, and in fact, um, his, uh, campaign, the person that ran his campaign, Ms. Nee, said that they never really had a a real poll that showed him in the lead. And I really think what happened was at the end, he kind of changed his strategy in the sense he got more down to earth. He talked more passionately about labor and things like that. He, I think he lent a little too much on the abortion issue in the beginning. But it's really interesting because you could see in the last two weeks there was a real shift, I think. And that was why the surprise of, you know, of uh, of having him the winner was, uh, you know, was a real win. I think that everybody, it's, it's interesting. I think everybody expected him to win. And as Scott McKay pointed out to me, The picture in the Providence Journal the next day, above the fold, um, Magazina was under the fold. In Mm -hmm. other words, they were ready for him to lose. For him to lose. Everybody
0: expected Fung to win. Do you have a biggest loser?
3: I have a biggest loser, and that's Ashley Taylor's. I mean, um, you know, she... It's a lot
0: of money to get basically 5%.
3: Well, yeah, it's a lot of money to get basically 5%, so I do think she was the, the big loser in the sense.
0: We talked about this last week. Do you think she's going to be on the Newport Charter Review Commission? Do you think she's going to dive into her local community now and start from the bottom up, or I maybe don't not? Know. I, I don't talked
2: know. to Sue Sienke, GOP chairwoman, recently, and she told me that Ashley Kalos is going to stay in, stay Rhode, in Rhode, Island. Rhode
3: Island. Yeah, Good. Oh, really? Well, hopefully
2: okay. she's got a lot of energy. We'll see what she can put that mm-hmm. to. Biggest winner, biggest loser. Speaking of Sue Sienke, uh, notwithstanding her energetic efforts, uh, Rhode Island Republicans are on the outside, looking in. They lost one seat in the Rhode Island House, going from 10 to 9 of 75 members. They held with 5 members in the Rhode Island Senate, and of course Alan Fung was the great Republican hope, and he lost. Also, the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. There was a lot of tough rhetoric from Matt Brown and his supporters about, you know, they're going to take the bleeping state house, and it didn't really work out. I mean, they did a poor job of vetting some of their candidates. They ran into stiff opposition from more entrenched Democrats. And there's another progressive group, the Rhode Island Working Families Party, that did win a number of its races. And and the legislature is moving in a more progressive direction. But biggest winner is Dan McKee, uh, because he, notwithstanding his rejection of this argument, he did come into a very fortunate budget situation, Mm -hmm. the waning of COVID. Uh, You know, timing is important in politics, and he has benefited from the timing. Mm -hmm.
1: I, say I actually overlooked my biggest loser. I think the biggest loser was Cranston Mayor Alan Fung, former Mayor Alan Fung. Mm. Three elections, he's lost. Mm. Uh, it's very tough to come back from that. Uh, uh, he was sort of the Bruce Sutherland model in a, in a way. I think but he didn't
0: get it the third time. Right? Right. Yeah, he right. did. He did.
1: And that would be the, the difference. So I, I think I think this is going to be a problem for him.
0: All right. Uh, only in Rhode Island moment. Maureen, let's begin with you. Do you have an only in Rhode Island moment? I
3: have one. Um, it's, anyway, uh, it's interesting. After this last election, it became obvious that the state is a drop-in state for potential candidates. In other words, because of the tight medium, the intensely concentrated pop- population, and the media environment, uh, it is the case that, um, and it's relatively inexpensive to run in Rhode Island. And Ashley Klaus spent five million dollars, but she did get the nomination for a governor of the state. Mm. And I mean, five million dollars, You know, you try that's not going to work in Pennsylvania, that's not going to work in Connecticut, that's not going to work in Massachusetts.
2: We're a cheap date,
3: we're a cheap, (laughs) I think that's the way to say it. So, I do think that, um, it's interesting they're talking about residency, you know, requirements, and I don't know about that, but it is the fact that, um, you know, it is easy to come here and be what you are. And the other, other one that I have to add, and I know it, I said it last year, but. The blue blog bug is just the best. Oh, I'm going to
0: want some repairs too this year, yeah, year as uh, we all need, yeah. right?
3: I kept, was coming up a couple of days ago to, you know, up to the Providence. And there they, he was with all his regalia for Christmas. Ian, what
2: do you have? Only in Rhode Island could you have a situation like with the homelessness outside the statehouse where two of the main figures, Superior Court Judge David Cruz and Governor Dan McKee, are closely related. Actually, they're first cousins. They (laughs) ran against each other for governor. uh, Excuse me, for mayor in Cumberland. uh, And, of course, Cruz was appointed by former Governor Raimondo and was a high-level aide to Raimondo. That's a good one. Dave, what do you have?
1: Uh, Actually, uh, only in Rhode Island moment is... uh, uh, Ashley Kalis, uh, with, with her her jumping in, as we've already talked about, spending $5 million, uh, $35 a vote when it was all over. She lost big time uh, in a landslide, actually. Um, and the whole thing was interesting about her was the fact that she jumped in uh, right after kind of moving here. And then there was a question about whether she really did live here as a primary residence or whether it was Illinois or, or Florida. So, And then what brought her back here was that she ended up with a contract with the state through the McKee administration and then later lost the contract and she ended up losing to him when she decided to run for governor. I just think that's an only in Rhode Island.
0: I'm going to throw in a quick one on my own. Only could you have a situation at the abortion rally downtown where the Providence cop who wound up slugging another person was running against her in the same race. John Lugo and oh, Jen Rourke. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out n- n- neither of them won. And the Republican actually wound up winning the yeah. seat, a yeah. heavily Democratic seat, because the establishment supported him instead of the progressive candidate. So, all right, let's get to our predictions from last year. I love this. We're going to roll the tape, as we always say. Save the tape, roll the tape. Ian, let's see what you said for
2: 2022, what your prediction was. So there's going to be more stress on the health system. We're already hearing about this due to COVID during due to turnover uh, in staff, there's a lot of burnout. It's a very dif- difficult situation, as Wendy said, for health care workers. My wife is a health care worker in the interest of full disclosure. And one other prediction, I predict that the merger between Lifespan Care New England and Brown University will move forward, however, with conditions uh, brought in by state and federal regulators. Going back to your prediction for last year, you know, they were talking about the fall session with marijuana.
0: I think it's really the governor and the senate president have to get on the same page, right? But you also talked about the progressives, and they are becoming a force in the legislature.
2: Yeah, and as you as you say, Jim, there's kind of a convergence of interests uh, supporting this societally. People are a lot more tolerant about marijuana now, and, uh, it, you know, at one point, we would be unlikely to see this happen in an election year, but because it's a lot less controversial in the past, I think there's a good chance it will happen in 2022. All right. Any other predictions, or is that you're, you're done? <laughs> We've got it, it on tape. Uh-huh. Red, big, big year for the Red Sox in okay. 2022. Okay, okay. we'll okay. look forward right. to that.
0: One for three. That's a pretty good batting That's average, but yeah. uh,
2: maybe it, not here. Uh, in terms of looking at next year, even with the repudiation of the merger between Lifespan and Care New England, we see how they are continuing to work more closely together with Brown University. On a related note, I think the Jewelry District will continue to become a more desirable neighborhood. Is this your as, prediction
0: for it, 2023? It is. All it, right, just it, want to make sure it, we have you on the record. It is. Oh, okay.
2: as, as Brown continues to expand there, uh, the Providence City Council will move in a more progressive direction with a lot of turnover. And I think we'll see more communities use more of these kind of speed cameras and plate readers as a way to enhance their revenue.
0: That's a full plate. See if you have more, you have a chance. Actually, you have a chance to be right or wrong, depending on which way. All right, Dave, let's rack up your prediction for 2022. Here's what Dave had to say.
1: I think 2022 is going to be a tough year for Governor Dan McKee and President Joe Biden for very different reasons. But I think it will be the worst year in the life of Donald Trump. The former president is in very serious trouble with all kinds of investigations. If he does get charged, he will be the first former U.S. president ever to be criminally charged. This may also totally affect the way the Republican Party begins to react to him. There's been some stepping away from him as it is, but it may be wholesale before it's all over. There are so many investigations. In Washington, the January the 6th investigation, more is coming out on that. A grand jury in New York is investigating his business dealings. Another investigation in New York, a dual investigation between the city and the state. investigation in Georgia, he's under investigation there because of his alleged tampering with the election there to try to reverse the total so that he would be the president. And then, of course, there are the lawsuits. Trump is facing a number of lawsuits from former business partners, his own niece, and Capitol police officers. So for this reason, I think it's going to be a mighty tough year for Donald Trump.
0: And I think next year might be a mighty (laughs) tough year, too. What about 2023, Dave?
1: I'm going to pick up on what I said there, uh, and I'll be brief. Uh, I think, and people think I'm crazy for predicting this. I think within this year, uh, 2023, Donald Trump is going to be criminally charged. I don't... I don't, he won't go to trial by then, but he'll probably get nailed because of the uh, secret documents that he took out of the White House. But I think this will be the year he is going to be charged.
0: And how do you think that affects his campaign? Because he's announced already that he's running for president. And that's going
1: to be a problem for the Justice Department because they, they don't want to look like they're being political. But I'll tell you what, I think uh, bringing in uh, this new special uh, counsel, uh, they're they're on a track to move forward on this. And I think you might even see him charged within the next month or so.
0: All right. Let's go to Maureen. Maureen, let's see what you predicted for 2022.
3: As far as nationally, I'm going to be very conservative, okay, <laughs> <laughs> after this last one. Okay, I think the Democrats will lose the House and I think possibly the Senate. And I think that's going to be interesting because I don't think there's going to be anything more done on the domestic side but uh, there's a lot of foreign policy issues that Biden's going to have to deal with. So that's that's as far as national. Locally, I am optimistic about how the leadership in this state and how we're going to use the federal funds. I think they seem to be on the same page, and I expect really interesting and possibly transformative policy on housing and transportation.
0: Well, the Senate, you were one for one, one for two on the House right. and the Senate. Yeah. Uh, also, and I also think. I think they're on the same page. It's just the execution of the funds, right? right? and
3: that's the big deal, of course.
0: And so maybe you were a year ahead. We'll see that in 2023. Uh, What do you have for
3: 2023? Okay, I think Trump is going down. I think he's going to be indicted. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my feel there. Trumpism may stay in the the form of Ron Ron DeSantis in Florida, Mm -hmm. but I think he's going to lose. I don't think he's going to be the nominee. Uh, And conversely, for Biden... I think he's going to be remembered very well for his presidency. However, I predict he's not going to run again. I predict he doesn't want to be a lame duck. He doesn't want to start too early. But I think in the end he's going to bow out.
0: It's a delicate balance because if you say now I'm not running, then are you a lame mm-hmm. duck? But then if you get out too late, then it doesn't allow the Democrat. I mean, that's a, yeah, yeah. That's a tough yeah, call. It's a tough time. call.
3: But I think he's not going to run. I'll predict he's not going to run.
0: Okay. As we mentioned earlier, our colleague Wendy Schiller is away for this program, but the miracle of videotape, we got her prediction beforehand. Here is what she is predicting for 2023.
4: I mean, I think the I think the Democrats in the House, the progressives, have seen what the more right-wing version of the Republicans have done in the House over the last decade. They take over the party, and I think they see the opportunity to do that. So they're not unhappy about the older retirements that we're seeing, retirements of older members of the of the House who are from some parts of the South and the Midwest, and they see you know as sort of an opportunity to get their platform to be the dominant platform for the Democrats. It's you know they're following they're following the playbook of the Republicans. Whether you know it works from the long run, we'll see. But you know, as I said, the the administration has gotten an enormous amount done that's going to help a lot of people over the next couple of years. So the idea that there's still remaining things that need to be done, the progressives will argue, well, we can't get it done now. Give us more seats, give us more power, give us our nominee, and we'll all get it done. The problem is mobilizing the people that really support their agenda, who tend to be younger, very hard to do in the midterm elections. So I don't see them being successful in 2022 in the midterm elections. But I do see them being very influential in choosing the Democratic Party nominee in 24.
0: What's your prediction?
4: My prediction? Well, my other predictions. Oh, (laughs) covid COVID will become much more like a very serious flu uh, that we'll have to be very concerned about, particularly people with immune-compromised systems. In the next six to nine months, we'll make a transition from being very, 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 very panicked about it to sort of understanding that this will be a problem for us for the next couple of years. We'll have to get a yearly shot, if not every six months. But it will eventually transition to that. It will replace probably our existing flu. And then I think we'll also see historic rates of early retirement for people over the age of 55. The vast majority of the 4 million people who've retired, who left the workforce, are over the age of 55 and you're going to see even more of those retirements, which will in turn put pressure on systems like early, you know, 62-year-old uh, people taking Social Security, people trying to push for Medicare for all or lowering that that age for Medicare. I think you're going to see pressures on state and federal governments as the majority of those people start to retire earlier.
0: My apologies, of course. That was Wendy's prediction. got ahead of myself. That was Wendy's prediction for this year. I got on videotape Her prediction for next year, let's roll that.
4: My prediction for 2023. First of all, the economy. We will have a mild recession, if at all. I think the economy will remain resilient. Uh, Unemployment will stay low, and I think we will weather whatever storm people thought were coming. I don't think it's going to materialize. At the national level, politically, the Republicans in the House of Representatives will overreach. Speaker McCarthy will owe his right-wing flank a lot. They're going to want to go after Hunter Biden. They're going to want to have to go in the Biden administration. Meanwhile, in the Senate, which will be controlled by the Democrats, President Biden will see the rest of his judicial nominees confirmed in the federal court system, and he will overtake Donald Trump and how many judges he gets confirmed in the next year. At the state level, I think the state will appeal the truck toll case, but I think they'll lose in court, and they'll have to revisit this issue in the legislature and expand tolls to all trucks if they want to continue to fund infrastructure in Rhode Island.
0: Some bold, some bold predictions there. We will uh, see whether they come true quickly. People to watch in 2023. Do you have a name?
1: Yeah, I've got uh, uh, Providence Mayor-elect Brett
0: Smiley. Okay. Maureen, who do you have to watch? I
3: have have two. Gina Raimondo at the national level and also Helena Folks. Mm -hmm. Is she going to be the Department of Education? Is she going to run against McKee?
2: and yeah. former central falls rep uh, shelby maldonado brought back as a deputy secretary of state by secretary of state elect greg amore and wrote senate majority leader ryan pearson a cumberland democrat well positioned to be the next president of the Senate.
0: Those are two good ones, folks. It's a a quick 30 minutes. It's been a quick year. Uh, Dave and Maureen and Ian, thank you for spending so much of this year on this set with us. Folks, we appreciate your loyalty to this show. And of course, if you don't see us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we're all over social media. We archive all of our shows at ripbs.org slash lively. This is our last year for the show uh, the last show for the year. We hope last year for the show. We hope you it's been a long year. Uh, We hope you have a great holiday season and join us back here the first week of January as a lively experiment continues.
1: A lively experiment is generously
2: underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.